Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. So welcome back. Charlie and Justin here. Sarah's playing hooky. So we are unsupervised. And for the first time ever over the phone... Uh, we've got a special guest. So we've had guests before. Usually they're sitting across the table from us, but today uh, we're going to let uh, Tom introduce himself and uh, tell us a little bit about what he's after. And uh, then we got some time. We're just going to chat. So Tom, go ahead. Thanks, Justin and uh, Charlie. Um, so I'm Tom Ruth, and uh, I'm the vice president, general manager of a real-time location services company called Coupa. That's the first test is you have to learn how to pronounce it correctly. We are Finnish. So that means that you have to say not Cupa, but you say it, you pronounce it Kupa. And um, I'll get into some of the, some of the folklore behind the company and describe a little bit about what we do and how we impact manufacturing. So I look forward to the engagement guys. Hey, thanks for being here, Tom. Uh, you're coming in from Philadelphia. Is that right? Uh, no, Washington, DC. Washington, DC. Excellent. And for those of you at home, it's uh, Q as in Queen, Utah, Utah, Papa, Papa, Alpha. Correct. Great name. So, it looks good on a jersey, I bet. Do you have a, is there a football yeah, team they're sponsoring in Finland or a hockey team? Actually, a, uh, there's a, a, a boat that's been sailing. Uh, I think it took a, a large sail from the Mediterranean all the way through the Baltics. And it's next year, it's going to be going around the world carrying our flag. Oh, wow. Um, that's cool. So that's actually kind of cool. Um, Shame on me. I didn't have boat in my top 10. In the, in the <laughs> rifle no, no. Our, our, you know, the, Finland's an archipelago, so yeah. half of my colleagues are, are all very well uh, versed in, uh, in maritime yeah. uh, entertainment and, uh, and, and hobbies. Um, I also like to use it as a metaphor for, for frequently as we develop a small business because it's a, it's attacking. Uh, it's never a straight line. You're totally. always counting teams. So, Gosh. but, uh, so yeah, so Koopa is a, uh, it's a strange pronunciation. It's intentionally, uh, intentionally, uh, quirky, um, because everyone's got it. They've got a, a keen wit in Finland. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, the, the company, uh, Koopa, if the, the correct term of it is it's a cup, if you will. And it's synonymous with a light fixture cover, which is what our earlier prototypes looked like. Um, the other interesting folklore is that it's also the ladle that you use to spoon water on sauna rocks. And oh, so yes. <laughs> the, I like to tell people that we, this all got dreamt up in a, in a hot sauna somewhere. I do, um, it, I do it regularly. <laughs> so the, uh, our, our, my, my colleagues and founders of the company uh, were, you know, are a bunch of really brainy physicists who have, uh, you know, PhDs in things like statistical modeling of radio frequency signals, um, directional antenna design and the like. And they, and they did this for many years at Nokia Research uh-huh. using tools and research uh you know, funding and, and uh, that, that no startup would ever have resources for. And in that process, they realized that, that to mitigate some of the problems of radio frequency, because 
radio frequency is not like shooting a laser beam. It's a, it's a radio wave. That means that there's built-in variation. And, you know, the idea is to provide accurate location um, using these radio frequency uh, technology, you know, capabilities. So um, that's where the company really got its, its start. Um, in 2012, uh, Nokia decided they did not want to be in the uh, real-time location business. And so uh, they, they presented the opportunity for uh, the founders to take the technology with them and start the company. So uh, that's sort of how the origin was. A year later, uh, they had upstream manufacturing secured, and we were producing our first product. So as you can imagine, a lot of, a lot of this was all very good timing. Um, we came, opened up shop in the U.S. in just before 2017, and so I've been here for about five years, uh, a little over five. And, um, you know, most of, uh, and I'll, we'll sit there and talk about the, the business model in a minute, but it's been a, it's been a, uh, an interesting journey considering, you know, we've navigated both the origins of practical IOT development in our, you know, in the marketplace and adoption in the marketplace, uh, you know, in the midst of a pandemic supply chain challenges and so forth. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll pause and take a, a breather there. Yeah, no, and I was going to kind of ask, you know, I, I think about Nokia and, and I think about the the history, right, and kind of where their focus was. And, and part of me, you know, working, you know, my day job at Rockwell, right, we have an advanced tech team and they're working yeah. on all sorts of voodoo-y stuff in the background. I wonder, you know, what, do you have any insight as to what the vision was as these guys sat down and said, hey, what if, right? Like, what what was their initial hopes and goals and kind of what what inspired that? Right? What was said in the sauna? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, as you, Nokia being a, a large telecommunications concern, uh, you know, very active in, in producing, uh, you know, and, and they've acquired a variety of companies, but this Western Electric, Lucent Technologies, Alcatel, and so forth is now part of that fold. Um, and so we're all familiar with what GPS is, and because uh, everyone's got a cell phone and we all use it to navigate regularly. But GPS presents an interesting challenge in that it doesn't work so well indoors once you go inside because it prevents the, it blocks the satellite from seeing where you are. Um, a lot of the principles of how location is provided still is adopted into our technology. So we're sort of like the satellites, uh, you know, indoors, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, um, sure. And it doesn't take a rocket ship to, to launch them or mount them. You just need a guy that can run a POE cable. So um, that's that's part of the, the idea. So the ability to provide accurate location where um, – uh, where outdoor positioning and, and geopositioning does not exist is, is really sort of the first tenant. Um, and so, you know, you guys are aware that beaconing, you've probably heard of this term, uh, as well as RFID, which we frequently get melded into, has been around for a long time. And I'll sort of foundationally, you, you know, in, in the warehousing and logistics space, as well as manufacturing, as you've got raw materials that you put into use uh, and process them to create a product. 
Um, a lot of those, you know, originally, you know, automation occurred through barcode scanning, which essentially was a manual uh, way to digitize um, where you're capturing and where an object is. Take that to the next step. So obviously, there's a little bit of human interaction that goes into that. Um, and if you know you don't actually scan the, the proper code, then obviously that, that didn't get captured. So there's a, a human factor there that you have to account for uh, in, in this digitization process. So then let's move to radio frequency identification or RFID. It's it's essentially an extension of the same concept, except that you're using radio frequency to capture uh, the identity of an object. And that identity of an object then in software is often associated with an asset or whatever it is that you're tracking. So, you know, this is, you know, to, similar to the tags that you find on garments and shopping centers and when the clerk forgets to remove it from your garment and you walk past <laughs> the sensor. Yep. That's when you trigger the the uh, the alarm. So that's just again another example of the use of the same technology. And those are fairly close range, right? I mean, when I think about the the garment example, you got to walk through those two sticks or whatever's embedded in the floor or the door, right? It's not like it it knew when you picked it up. No, exactly. Um, so that now you're presenting the point of uh, how do you provide location using that type of technology? It, the location can only be used at, uh, at the point of capture. So in manufacturing environments, we typically find that uh, RFID has been used in conveyor belt scenarios uh, where, you know, an item is tracking along and on the on the belt and at the point that it passes by the sensor yep. then it gets it gets captured at that point and that was the okay so we know that that object was at that specific place plus or minus a couple of feet yep. at that point of sensing and it would be grossly impractical uh to be able to uh identify location of objects in a in a device or, or in a uh, an environment like that by having a litany of these sensors all over the place. So that would be grossly impractical. But, so, But to, to your point, though, that example is basically how all of our mail is shipped, right? Conveyance, reads a barcode, ships a, the piece of mail. So it's it, it does have its application. But I think you're selling yourself short. I think you're more than one step over. I think you're, what, two or three steps up, wouldn't you say, Tom? Well, yeah. So I'm just building the I'm building the the, the platform or the premise for. Sorry, my anticipation's too great. Just <laughs> by moving too slow, but um, so let's take this then to the next level. Um, so, ergo, this is the business problem. Enter other technologies that are out there, like beaconing, which has you know sort of found its way in the you know mid two thousands. Well. In 2010-ish, um, where you're starting to find that uh, Apple introduced these iBeacons, yeah. um, you know, Android ended up with their, their version of it. Um, and so you're able to sense where, you know, attach these beacons, and you're able to do some calculations of, of positioning relative to these beacons. And the beacons are in transmit mode, and they are usually statically mounted. Uh, so in this case, 
a mobile centric solution. Like if you have a phone that's running software and it, it could average or trilaterate from a couple of different sensing points saying, okay, well, if I'm, I've got a radio signal strength that I'm reading from this particular beacon and I'm getting a different signal strength from that. So I'm from a different one in the room. So I'm somewhere in between that, that would pro- probably help me provide some sort of position. The problem is, is that no one's going to take a mobile device and attach it to every asset. So there are, a, a, the next step is how do we solve for that problem? <clears throat> and, and I'll, and the other challenge too is, when you're, when you're talking about radio frequency-based signal strengths in an industrial environment, you've got a lot of metal. And metal creates multipathing and a lot of reflections. And signal strength is often parlayed in the reflection. So if you're using this to deterministically provide position as the method of providing position or even calculating a position, however you're doing it, and there's a lot of different ways that this cat gets skinned, um, you're, you're going to involve a fair amount of, of error to in your situation here. So the idea is, is that what good is the data if it's not accurate? Garbage in, point? garbage out, Tom. Yeah, exactly. So, so this is the, now the main problem of, of all things radio frequency-based in, in, in a practical environment in manufacturing where we all recognize that if we can automate and our processes based on a knowledge of location um, and, and improve our efficiencies, then we would solve a lot of problems. But again, if the data is garbage, then why bother? So the, there has been a lot of different technologies out there using what we would refer to as, you know, RSSI values, which, you know, is the relative signal strength um, of the signal to try to figure out, you know, uh, where an object is in relation to a, a space that it's in. Um, and so what Coupa does is we are out to mitigate those problems and provide accurate and reliable data. So the way that the technology works is that we're sort of the inverse of a lot of the beaconing stuff that I was referring to earlier. We, we created these directional antenna arrays um, there, you know, we have one that's uh, 17 centimeters in diameter and a bigger one that's 35 centimeters in diameter and it's IP rated and you can put outside and we'll talk about that in a minute. So you hang these things above the tracking area and they listen for the radio signal. Now, what we invented or, or rather it should say invented harnessed, uh, was the ability to get a direction finding packet in Bluetooth. Um, and this direction finding packet allows us to calculate the angle of arrival. Um, and so when we get the angle of the arrival of this packet on the antenna, if we know the height that the antenna is mounted from, and in this example, if we know the distance directly straight down from that antenna, um, and it would be a 90 degree angle. And so I know two angles. I know the angle at the top. I know the angle at the bottom. I know the distance from the, of the height. And so if you remember your trigonometry from high school, you divide by the cosine, you could come up with a hypotenuse of that angle. So, so could that is how, that's how we do what we do. Now, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 if you can indulge me a little bit further, I'll try to describe that alone doesn't solve your problem. The problem is, is that, with radio frequency, as I mentioned at the beginning, 
you've got very built in variation. Um, so whatever is sending or transmitting that signal, it's usually a tag or a could be a mobile phone, could be a tag that's affixed to a device or a badge or a card that somebody is wearing in the space. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so like if, if, uh, if I would just have a tag on a, on a pallet that's moving around in a, in a warehouse, um, if I, it's not shooting a laser beam, uh, toward these, these locators or these antennas, um, it's sending a radio signal. As I mentioned, there's built-in variation in that radio wave. So from one packet to the next, I'm going to have, you know, some deltas between, where I'm deterministically you know, calculating position based on from one packet to the next. So if I statistically model if it's transmitting fast enough and giving me enough packets in a relatively short period of time, I'm able to come up with a statistical mean that gives me a fair amount of certainty and a high degree of confidence of where that, of where that, that item is. The problem is the farther away that I get from that locator, um, I end up introducing even more error because error propagates over a longer distance in this particular case. If you going back to the physics, kind of like the, the polling, right? Where they say, Hey, your, your polling accuracy is plus or minus 2%. The farther away, that might be 10, yeah, whatever think, that is, right. That's kind yeah, of where you're going. So, so the farther away I get from it, I'm introducing more error. And if I were to graphically plot that all those packets, in a deterministic position that would have some sort of an ellipsoid. Think of it like shining a flashlight from the ceiling at an angle. The farther away I get, the more obtuse that angle gets, the more elongated that ellipsoid is. And that's, again, garbage data We're at this mm -hmm. point. You're not, you're, not, you're not really telling us anything. You're telling us that it's somewhere in that continuum, right? Mm -hmm. So by having another locator in that space, it's receiving that signal on a in a 360 degree fashion, it's broadcasting the signal. So by having another locator receive that signal, we're actually able to intersect, if you will, those ellipsoids so that we can provide an accurate position. And it's the intersection that gives us the accurate. So by having two and or more or N number of locators cover the space, there's a point of diminishing returns. So, But resolution the, gives you accuracy, gives you ability to triangulate, game, 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 win, win, win. Yep, and it allows us to, and so that is the first challenge. And again, by part of the magic in our algorithms is that we're uh, able to discard errant or, you know, re data receipts that we know are way outside the, or um, way outside the statistical mean of what we're calculating. So, and again, my I'm probably. Uh, you know, my founders would probably be cringing here if they hear me describe it. They're like, well, that's sort of, yeah, but I'm doing this for lay people. Uh, yeah, we're all here just, we're just trying to take the, <laughs> the suck out of automation, the suck out of life, as I coined it. Um, and, and that's the thing, like, who really wants to go through uh, a foundry's tool room and find a tool? Why can't I just walk up to it like it's my old friend because I know right where he is? You know, it's like, let's go find it. It's an asset. It has a value. You know, those tools cost anywhere from... 40,000, you know, plus or minus 10. And it's, it's real, it's real money you want. And the time to use that asset is precious. So you guys don't waste time in finding things, correct? Exactly. So there's a couple of interesting examples of that. We have one, uh, there was a, uh, concrete manufacturer that said, you know, has plants all over the world and said, Hey, uh, you know, w 
we need the specific ball bearing to keep our cement mixers going. Yep. If we lose the ball bearing or if we, we need to repair it and we get a new one, and if we can't find that ball bearing, the whole plant shuts down. The cost of the ball bearing may be like 10 bucks. Sure, yep. sure. Yeah. And these, and, and, these and tags, they're small, right? I mean, we're talking the yeah, size of a the, deck of cards, right? The, what was the metric uh, two radii or diameters, please, again? Well, that was the reed head. Oh, it was the reed yeah, head. Yeah, that's Thank the you. size of our load, these antennas that I'm holding. You guys can't, your audience can't Oh, see I can it, see that. So it's about a four-inch circle or 100 plate. centimeters, right? Yeah, maybe five. Yeah, it's 100 exactly. millimeters, excuse me. So, yeah, it's um, the, the tags themselves come in a variety of different form factors. Uh, sometimes they're as small as maybe a 50 cent piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you add a bigger battery to it, it may be two or three 50 cent pieces. A lot of them carry a CR2 and E32. Mm-hmm. You know, the coin battery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coin battery. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, the, so now we're talking about the other practical side of this, this, this location conundrum. So there's a whole bunch of other technologies out there. There's, there's you, your bodies may have heard of ultra wideband as an ultra wideband is it, it provides position, reliable positioning. Um, but it, it comes with its own set of practical challenges in that the power requirements of the, the tags themselves, uh, because of it, it uses a high amount of power, um, the batteries have to be big. So you can't, you, you're limited in form factor issues. Um, and oftentimes you have to replenish the battery or find, you know, replace the battery or refuel or repower the battery. Now you're introducing other challenges. So I have to go back and, you know, locate these devices, remove the tag, repower the tag, put the tag back into the field. And, you know, so, you know, what you're solving is also difficult to maintain, you know, with, while you're solving one problem, you're creating another, um, the challenge also is that the, the, the cost of the tags based on the, the most ultra wideband providers, you know, it's still the, the industry is relatively nascent and, you know, cost happens whenever you hit millions of, of, of tags or millions of, of you know, units in production and the industry is not there yet. And so a lot of these tags are uh, because of their proprietary nature, each individual manufacturer has their own, has to make their own. It's not like you can go to a store, to a mart, and or an ecosystem, and you know buy buy a, a compatible device for your ultra wideband platform. So, you know, while it's it's good in a lot of cases and it solves certain problems, it has a lot of. You're trying to track thousands and tens of thousands of items. It becomes a very costly and impractical uh, type of technology. Um, these batteries in our world are lasting, you know, three to five years. And again, everyone's mileage may vary based on transmission rates and frequency and so forth that, that exhaust the battery. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the thing. If you can just keep it in the floor and you don't have to worry about it, uh, once it's out there, then it's, uh, you know, it's doing its job and you don't have, it has a very low maintenance factor associated with it. Um, and so this is the, this is sort of the perfect storm of all of the issues coming together to provide an accurate location, a good data that can be used, but practical in that the power requirements are lower. Uh, we use Bluetooth as well as a proprietary mode of, uh, of communication. Um, there's a lot more devices out there that can use that, that uh, methodology 
So you have your pick of a variety of different form factors and tag manufacturers that, that can be used, uh, and therefore lower cost, competition, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not locking yourself in. Um, and again, you know, it has to be practical and pragmatic to provide that position. So one of the applications that Tom and I talked about that was pretty cool the other day was around... Uh, in the pre-meeting? I didn't get the pre-meeting the pre- notice. Yeah, okay. you weren't on the pre-meeting. That was just just Tom and I it's sharing secrets, You're talking the producer. about you. It's your job. We love you for it. <laughs> I mean, so, and, and so we brought up two things, right? So he, he brought up the topic of sports, and I think this is fun. And actually, I played uh, Tuesday night, and I did not score any goals, but, man, I lit that pipe up pretty good one time. Um, but, but the application, hockey, folks, he's playing hockey. That's where we were going. Yeah. So that was one of the applications you looked at, right? And, and you, you mounted the tags on the players somewhere. Um, yeah, so we're, we're currently in, uh, I'm going to say three to four leagues, not they're all feeder leagues to the NHL. They're in Europe. Um, and so the Finnish hockey league, I think the, the continental league, the Finnish hockey league. Um, to name a few, um, all use this technology. And it's, it's a great example of using location and it satisfies a variety of different use cases. So, and of course, the marketing cachet behind it is that if you can track puck, you, you know, can, can create the IoT of hockey, you know, players and, and objects that move very fast then you can track just about anything. So that's sort of the parenthetical if you're not paying attention. Um, and so in that hockey example, uh, the teams are, the, the players are tagged and the puck is tagged. And to be able to provide a, a high degree of resolution, those, I think the puck is transmitting at like 50 hertz and the players are running at around 30 hertz, 25 to 30 hertz off the top of my head. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the small lightweight tag is inserted on their in that pocket in their jersey, and um, through that, then in real time, they're able to provide augmented reality to the television uh, broadcasting environment. So you're able to follow the players and produce rapid instant replays and so forth. Um, and I'll contrast that versus the uh, the technology we see on the NFL every day. Uh, that has a whole room full of people creating that 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 visual uh, environment. Here, there's like no one doing it. It's all automatic. It's all done in software. Um, so the NFL solution is a competitor of yours, or just a different application of similar technology? An ultra wideband solution that's uh, provided by our friends over at Zebra, um, and uh, in, in terms of what they're doing. I love that everybody's uh, friendly. That's kind of you, Tom. So, uh, yeah, and, and again, we, you know, it's, there's all kinds of concentric over the circle overlap here. Absolutely. Yeah. The world's a big place. So, uh, yeah, so we're tracking the, the players, there's augmented reality. And so there's also the, the betting houses have more things to wager on. Oh yeah. That's my like, favorite part. <laughs> the game duels and all of that. So yeah. who, who spent the longest time on the ice, who skated the fastest, Sure. Uh, in a game, who hit the fastest slap shot, et cetera, um, or the hardest slap shot? Um, you can tell. Again, I'm, I'm not totally. a not a not a player, just a fan. Um, so uh, you know that, that's a, a completely different business model. It's making use of the data that we're producing. 
Um, and then the, uh, the teams, of course, there's the teams and the players. Um, and the, you know, I, I think there's some interest in that, you know, as well as what the players unions or players want to understand what their value is. The teams may figure out that, Hey, you know, we're, we're better when this guy's off the ice when, than when he's on the ice, even though, sure. uh, the statistics make something, say something else. So, uh, a lot of interesting data that can be produced um, in the, in the whole uh, saber metrics of hockey, if you will. Totally. Uh, and our partners. So let's talk about this. Is Coupa actually providing all of this? I'd love to say we love to talk about it, but we're just providing the data. And our partners are the ones. And if you remember, I was telling you what our heritage was. Now I think we do have a lot of execs who actually have a strong background in hockey, but. Um, and whether it's healthcare or whether it's in manufacturing or SCADA, those are completely different verticals or logistics for that matter. These are all verticals with their own language and their own nomenclature. And, uh, you know, our company at its core uh, were radio physicists. So, you know, the idea is to create a technology, not necessarily get involved in, in its application or use. Um, and so our partners are the ones that take the data that we produce and they're the ones that are building logic around it that will be able to help businesses solve their problems, whether it's manufacturing and then SCADA and work in process or whether it's um, simple logistics, find my stuff, uh, find my tool. Oh, I've got a favorite application already. I've written about 16 down. <laughs> I'm curious how many different things you can sense, please, beside the position of the tag. Is there any any other, you know, I can think of a hundred different variables I'd want to track of a, of an asset. Um, can you can you speak to that, please? Yeah, no, great, great uh, segue. So there, the payload of uh, the, 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 these uh, sensors are also some may have a um, they have accelerometer data on them in oh, many wonderful. cases. So. Some of our partners have used that to signal man down, uh, worker down scenarios from a safety. And do I need to summon, you know, support staff? Um, they will also have some of the sensors have temperature uh, thermometers on them. So for cold chain, and that's important for pharma and for beverage industry. Let's see if you can get the hat trick. Keep going. Uh, so uh, everything from biometric pressure, uh, to, um, uh, I mean, temperatures uh, is probably the, 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 the most near-term one that we frequently get asked about. Um, what about moisture uh, or humidity? Yeah, moisture, humidity, again, depending on what we're trying to sense. Uh, some of that may you may find in, uh, in with static agricultural-based tags. Um, but, you know, if, once you, if they're static, then we don't necessarily need to find them. Um, per se, but Can you monitor yeah, heart rate. It's, there's another one. We have a, a in fact, we have uh, one of the, in the hot, going back to the hockey example, um, we're able to, to uh, pass on the heart rates. And again, we're just capturing that information and forwarding it on and just acting as the IT gateway for all of that. So yeah, you, you, uh, thanks for stimulating me. That's, um, well, and speaking of that, I know when you're thinking the agriculture, maybe out in the field, but I start to think about, I mean, right? We're we're in Dairyland, USA here, right? In the oh, we got a few different friends that do a lot of different things, and it's just not dairy. I mean, what about hooking this on like a cow's ear? Like, well, how long was it up, in the thing? On, well, like, put it on a chicken, right? Sure. So, sure. shout out to Sanskard Farms. Uh, I went to school with a good friend of mine. He's got one plant has at least six million birds on it. You know, 
and finding the dead bird actually improves the life of the other birds. So, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, efforts. You can go walk a poultry show and see these, the best solution people have come up with is some sort of cart that allows a, a, a worker to go up and down the mezzanines. I mean, we're talking 6 million birds across 26 buildings. They're stacked, right? <laughs> There's two, just two floors. We've got elevators. But I thought we were going to sell them some sweet, like, thermal sensor drone. Yeah, well, that's what we wanted. We wanted to put, like, the drone from Star Wars 4 that went out to find Luke out in the, the wilderness. That's what we wanted to build. And what people are settling for is basically a glorified go-kart that has a stair on it, a set of stairs on it, so the guy can look up and down across, you know, 15 feet of cages. So, I mean, what's the, can you, and I'm guessing you can't because of the way the model works, but is there any ballpark figure you can share in terms of what people are creating sensors for in terms of dollars per hundred or? Uh, I mean, for the most part, the, again, every time you add a sensor to a tag, you know, it's, it's like another buck. It seems that, you know, sure. of all the things you're, you're adding to it. So, you know, the cost of most of our tags, uh, I've got tags that go as high as $300 a tag. Sure. And that's for being worn by, um, uh, in the hospitality industry of, of, um, of high security, uh, individuals. Yeah. So, you know, you can't take it off, in other words. Yep. <laughs> um, and there's also, you know, anti-ligature, you know, things that you have to do. But in, 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 uh, the, in the prison industry, there's a, a lot of people that are concerned about uh, uh, the health of the inmates. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, certainly through COVID, a lot of wardens that were having their inmates die on them. Um for a variety of reasons. And so they have to be able to, to track where they are mm-hmm. to also monitor, Hey, if somebody running a high temperature, maybe we should send an orderly to go to go take care of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these are, uh, these are all, you know, things that all impact costs because mm-hmm. you know, people healthy, you know, healthcare is expensive sure. and, and the, uh, the prison environment is just a lot of different things that can be done there. Um, I'd say on the average, most of our tags, we again, notwithstanding supply chain, because it's very dynamic. Sure. You're and, not being held to anything here. Just trying to get yeah. a ballpark. But, you know, in, in small quantities, these tags are roughly around 20 bucks. And lower, in, you know, in any kind of volume, you're somewhere between 10 to 15. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, in extremely high volume, you're between 5 and 10. Uh-huh. Of course. So, we should make some tags. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, that's the, that's I can the have challenge. a lot of fun with this. Yeah, you know, there's, um, a lot of people that are in that business and, you know, um, and again, there, there's with all of the different le- amounts of, of specialties of set things that you need to sense and add to it. Um, you know, the fun part is, is that we get to, we get to see all these different ideas for using location, whether it's surfing, um, surf parks, uh, go-kart parks, memory um, care facilities, memory care facilities, wander management. Yeah. That's uh, a, I didn't even think about that. Dude, it's a big yeah. asset. I mean, that person is, is cash and checks for you for 4,600 bucks a month to be in that facility. You want to keep that person on campus safe. You owe it to them. Yeah. Like it's a thing. And you're talking, you're talking 15 to $300 a sensor. Right. No problem. Yeah. You know, the one that, yeah. that hits, it's a one-time cost, correct? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, but again, there's the service and the software. Sure, sure, sure. But your job's got to be just a hoot, like you just said. I mean, I can't imagine the variety of things you get to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It's funny because one minute we, you know, we were in our key verticals are you know manufacturing, logistics, you know, warehousing, um, certainly healthcare and all its facets, whether it's clinics, hospitals, long-term care facilities, as you, we just said, um, you know, the, I'd say that those are really the, the big ones that we come across, you know, logistics and finding, finding, and, and then, but a lot of it is all the same. It's sort of like tracking people, tracking the tools, tracking, uh, you know, and, and the, the high value assets. I'll tell you guys, there's another podcast that we had uh, out there where one of our partners was making a large steel, one of our customers was making large steel coils. And these coils, you know, ultimately become car doors, you know, uh, air conditioning. Coils, yep. So, and these things are the size of like BW Beetles in production. Yeah, they can only put one on the back of a 53-foot flatbed when it goes down the highway. Yep, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. And and so you're not going to, you think, well, how can I lose them, you know? But they had a problem. They they Best. would spend an inordinate amount of time, and I, I don't know metallurgy, but you know there's I guess thicknesses and gauges and so forth of uh, and, and the oxidization times yep. and the how they can be expo- exposed to elements. So all, all day, of that yeah. FIFO matters mm-hmm. uh, this business. So and plus spend- you sold it at one rate, and if it doesn't get there in a few other days, they'll be like, dude, it, it, the price of steel's dropped down, or you know. Yep. Yeah, it's a great, great point. What this business encountered was people, the customers would call them back saying, hey, I need a rush order mm-hmm. now because you can get it to me in time. Mm-hmm. And so meanwhile, the order that they had produced for them is sitting somewhere on the floor, mm-hmm. but they have to stop the presses because some sales guy you know, came in waving another PO. Story my life. Literally, and you know, let's have a, a, a rush production run. Mm-hmm. Uh, very disruptive to their business. And all of this is just a location finding, and they would they were spending on the average over an hour trying to find an item for shipment. Now that's real that, money. One hour is real money. It, that's an average, right? Mm-hmm. So but a lot of times it's you know there's statistics at both ends of that. <laughs> so um, you know the, the challenge that they had was you know how could we solve this problem? So by creating a, just a digital matrix digital twinning environment of their facility, uh, adding, adding a tagging process to it, they were able to cut this time down and, and literally as fast as it takes for me to search on the computer, so less than a couple of minutes. Um, what's fascinating about this story is that, you know, everyone's like, okay, well, that's real money. They, they knew that they were going to not, not spend as much money on overtime, et cetera, but... Um, and yes, the, the business would operate more efficiently, but what they didn't expect was that their production, they were able to actually ship, ship more. Their shipments increased by like... Absolutely, yeah. Less, a little less than a third, let's just say 25% or something. Can't manage that. what you don't measure. And I mean, I think of all the soft costs too, about, oh, such and such can't find his order. And like your example, oh, this I jumped your order with this other order and, and all that is gone. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's maddening in that... Yeah. These are, you know, these are, these are problems, you know, real life problems. And, um, you know, uh, uh, what's, what's hard in our business is that, you know, I, you know, we're, 
it's difficult for us to name names because most customers don't necessarily want to expose their, their. It's part of security. Yeah. Yeah. Security. And, and if it's a secret sauce to their, their operations, they don't want to let their competition know what they're doing. Right. Are you doing it in any large commodities? Like uh, I'm going to, I'm going to swing the big swath here. I'm going to say anything from lumber to uh, concrete, like mud, um, sand, um, I've got to believe you could you could have a, add a lot of value to all those. Yeah, I mean, all of these industries, I mean, certainly steel, you know, the steel coil example, mm-hmm. uh, call on the lumber space. Um, but certainly, we mentioned concrete earlier uh, of this problem with the, the, you know, in the operation of their business to mm-hmm. find the, mm-hmm. the tools. But do you um, put the sensors like in the actual stream of material so if you were if you're monitoring the moisture of a, a pile of sand do you put it in there and that pile, that pile of sand then um moves along some type of conveyance and would the operator of the plant be able to i'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm sensing we're doing hockey so sand moves not no faster than a puck so we're safe in terms of expectation of technology now it's just a matter of okay this goes up to a cloud or a local server of some sort and they get to view it so that they can make adjustments because they have they have water valves and they have spray systems along this conveyance and like hey man we're running at 14 we like to be at 16 and a half and you know we've hit three points in the last three seconds to say that we're not because we've got you know 15 sensors per metric uh cubic You'd almost uh, have to like embed them in like a little ball. Yeah, that that's what in the material. I, I've drawn that up here. Okay. Yeah, and then that would have to kind of float say, along, right? I would say for the most part, these tags get attached to the exterior of of a pallet, yeah. uh, a carton or a container of some sort. Um, and you know, and occasionally, you know, if it's a tool, it would be attached to a tool. Sure. Um, Aerospace is a very big, yep. Uh, yep. big market for us, and we have some public, uh, you know, uh, you know, publications of what we're doing with Airbus, mm-hmm. and all the other usual suspects are in tow as well. Yeah, I've walked um, the F thirty five line. There's no way they don't know where all that stuff is right now. <laughs> you'd be surprised. I don't know, man. I mean, you'd so, be surprised. Okay. So in in, uh, in the aerospace business, there are challenges that. And again, whether it's commercial or whether it's defense related, it's all sort of security at totally. this point. Yeah, and, ITAR uh, all day. Yeah, and so you definitely want to make sure that you, you mentioned ITAR exactly. That's uh, the, um, the it's the people that are walking the floor, mm-hmm. who have the tool, mm-hmm. who where the tool is, and mm-hmm. where the part is. Mm-hmm. And so those are the three magic magical things if you know very you think about if one little part finds its way into the wrong hands that could be a you know certainly a national security uh breach um so it's not only from the security side of it but it's also just where's the you know these tools all look the same where's the there's a skilled worker that knows how to use that tool yep and that skilled person is probably somewhere on the floor and they may be doing a variety of jobs correct um so human resourcing and understanding where everybody is, you know, in a production environment, whether it's logistics and you're trying to get things out the door at a certain, you know, by a certain deadline 
And in a lot of those facilities, everyone seems to be cross-trained. Um, and so you need to be able to marshal resources to, you know, to dynamically adjust to whatever your, your, uh, your load-based challenge is that day. Um, you know, the same thing occurs with, uh, you know, we were talking about aircrafts, car manufacturing, you know, so everybody imagines, you know, we all like to see these, these examples of, uh, and, and you guys are, you know this better than I do. When you, on television, you see manufacturing lines and it's these highly automated robotic arms that everything. <laughs> they only show the good parts. <laughs> and, uh, Zoom in and, for the and, sexy sauce picture where it drips. Yeah. In, in most cases, it's just not, uh, it's just not that automated. So when you involve all these other human factors, then you're involving additional error and that's some, some of what location can help solve. Well, and I, and I think too, you know, we've got some medical device manufacturers here in the, the mm-hmm. Twin Cities in Wisconsin, right? And uh, tons, yep. It, it some of it is super automated, like you talked about, and some of it is people walking around with boxes. But I think about the the time some of these things are allowed to be in certain areas, right? Whether that's a, a person being exposed to vapor right now, you can start to track how long were they in a, a vapor area. Or I think about like some of these epoxies and glues that come out of a refrigerator. They're set next to a machine and they could only be there for three hours before they have to go back in the fridge or that whole can's shot, right? Like there's Dude, those sorts I, of things. I would put one on every Van Gogh. And then I would let you know where it is at all times, and you'd make sure that it's never in a terrible humidity or even light environment. But if it leaves the building, you're out of luck. Yeah, but that's fine. It, it, you put a GPS tracker on the back of it, too. It's a flipping $42 million <laughs> pa- painting, bro. Come on. You, know, you mentioned that me. contamination is a big issue, yeah. being able to that contamination zones, sure. that, you know, especially in the glue example. We saw a lot of this early on. It went away as fast as it went as it presented itself. Sure. There were home during COVID. Yeah, uh, contact tracing was uh, another. Yeah, application. You know, it was pretty yeah. short lived. It's uh, zoo animals. Think about that. That's an interesting one because I think about like the, uh, the the safari at uh, Animal Kingdom at Disney totally. World, right? Where are yeah. the zebras today? And they then basically could you make see that Universal your... Marauders maps for anything you want. That'd be awesome. Lifestyle. Yeah, mischief man. Yeah. We're doing that with pigs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what what is the what is the data limitation of the sensor? I mean, radio frequency is quite a broad you know, thing and speed and, um, the antennas, I'm sure those all fit into it. Um, but if you're talking about, I mean, you hit my four that I was curious about pressure, temperature, humidity, accelerometer. Wow. You can do a lot with that. Um, you can solve a lot of problems and you guys make sensors for people or you make sensors with people as my understanding. Correct. Is it or, or, and, uh, or, and, and, or, and slash, or. Um, nice. So, yeah. yeah, circle them um, all. You had to think about the sentence itself. And, it was uh, a run on. My apologies. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so we, as I was referring earlier to some other proprietary technologies, we have an ecosystem. Okay, yeah, um, that's right. So I forgot that website. Forgive me. A Koopa ready version so that we can 
get the accurate information of where it is sure. and actually locate it. Um, and we make, you know, we make our tag. Our tag is almost a reference tag. We're not in the business of making tags per se. Um, but uh, but you you've know, got partners. Part- it looked like you had a whole host of folks that you work with in some fashion or another. Yeah, yeah exactly. And again, because as soon as we came out with a, a black tag, somebody would say, can you make it in red? Oh, yeah, and all day. Right. Yep. We're like, really? Do we yeah. have to? That's the wrong color purple. <laughs> that was my favorite one ever. Or I needed yeah. one more bite of data. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, so so can can you speak to the radio frequency limitations or maximums? Like just, I mean, you're, you're, you've got a lot of data, but I mean, are we seeing that every second, every half second? How do you measure the speed and quantity or size, please? Yeah, uh, so, you know, obviously packets, uh, you know, can be sent in hertz, right? Mm-hmm. So it's how different when you have multiply that times thousands. Each one of the locators themselves is capable of processing, I believe that we rated it at like 650 packets per second per locator. So if you have a couple, in the hockey example, you know, we only have about the, the density of like 15 to 20 locators surrounding the hockey rank. But remember these players and pucks are chirping, you know, producing a lot of data. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously we're, you know, we outfit the environment to look at that factor as well. So there's a couple of different things. Obviously it's line of sight and how, how clear is the path to, to do I get up at the a variety of different um, positions from different locators mm-hmm. uh, and then making sure that the, you know, that we're avoiding, you know, all co-channel interference issues. So we run in a proprietary channel knowing that they've got 15,000 people in that arena mm-hmm. that all in it have their phones chirping Bluetooth at that time. So we're using our proprietary channel in those environments. So it's an industrial Bluetooth. It's not exactly the Bluetooth connecting my headset to my iPhone. No, it's well, it could be. Uh-huh. It could. So we, we can track phones. Yeah. Phones are, you know, uh, can run a little, you know, provide us, we have a little, can provide a little bit of code in the advertisement packet so that we can track phones. Interesting. So how big is a packet? Help me no, out, you're... former light blinker man. Well, so it's whatever you put in it, right? So there's going to be the, the radio signal piece to it, but then I'm assuming you can put 256 kilo, however big of a data slug you want to attach, right? Yeah, this is where I call for my my uh, engineer. That's fine. Don't don't. No, sweat it's it. fine. I, I, I appreciate you stating your boundary. That's cool. You kind of <laughs> you you stated that up front. I I knew I was going to run right through it. You know, that's generally how I live life. You know, it's going too fast. But um, yeah. I, uh, wow. Are you into mining? You got to be in mining. Know. Yeah. We have mining. Of course, mining is a highly confined. Depends if you're underground. It's a highly confined environment. Um. We uh, and, and we have some partners in South America that you know tra- are tracking the actual trucks. Oh, know, totally. The, yeah, I was going to track people though. The yeah, the wheels are like yeah. two stories high. You know. Yeah. And apparently, those things disappear. Yeah. Well, they drive themselves too. That's my favorite part. <laughs> How do you lose a truck that big, though? I don't know, man. Uh, you know, people take breaks, and sometimes they don't. You know, they overlap, and next thing you know, it's a foggy day, and it's gone. <laughs> to where? Well, if it goes off the side of the cliff, then you really lost it. You well, know what I mean? Total yeah, loss. Yeah, I'm sure. 
they go someplace where. I don't know, I've been to the bottom of Homestake Mine in South Dakota. It's 56 or 5,800 feet down. And right before they started building the neutrino lab, I mean, I can just see a host of things that you'd want to know where they are. And yes, it would cost more in terms of POE cabling and the antennas, the way Thomas described it. But my, I guess my question is, is from an industrial automation perspective, um, I was at IMTS last week. Sarah was too. And mm-hmm. there's a couple different vision systems that are being used in a safety scenario. And safety yep. is all about redundancy. And I know I'm maybe dancing on the line of where you're comfortable about speaking based on your last engineering comment there. And that's fine. <laughs> but is, is, is there any past experiences that Koopa has with using your technology to augment or enhance a safe operation that may have a vision system with it. Like there was a cell or a booth at IMTS that had a a cage, very simple cage, four posts. And then it ran 20 feet above there. They had an overhead um, boundary with um, just, you know, some aluminum up there that they mounted a bunch of sensors to, and they've shined them down on the space and it's bright green. I forgive me. I don't know the name of it, but you could walk through it and this, six axis robot was just whipping around like try and hit me because I can't hit you because I know where you are. Cause you're walking through this thing where we've got, you know, I think it was probably six, no eight or, or 10 yeah. sensors shining down, you know, taking into effect the trigonometry and they have redundant lasers, essentially sure. laser distance sensors. So does it make sense to integrate with, or is that something that you guys just leave out? You don't go after a safety application in that regard, but your accuracy is so tight. I mean, it's pretty yeah, so again, We're talking sub-meter accuracy here. Yeah. So, yeah, so you could almost be a safe application in certain pieces. Oh, absolutely. So the, the example you're talking about, and there's a couple of different ways to describe it, whether it's in safety or uh, access control, where we're combining our technology with camera vision. Yes. Um, Cause uh, and camera vision may, may be able to determine, you know, in certain cases at a high degree of resolution and accuracy, you know, the sex of a person, whether it's a male or a female, um, but they, they won't necessarily, you know, there's facial recognition. You guys are aware of that stuff, yep. but it's still, it's still even, even things like in, as we learned in the parking industry, um, there's still a 10% fallout rate for license plate recognition. Yeah, and not in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, though. <laughs> so 130 bucks. Oops. Yeah. Silly. Nice. So, so thinking about and, and and I put this. I'm gonna I'm gonna leap forward here, right? So the the challenge with the camera solution, right, is you needed eight or ten of them because you're worried about occlusion, right? Like. The robot's going to pick up a pallet of stuff or a car, and it's going to move, and it's going to block some of the cameras somewhere. So you are you have to constantly be triangulating with the with, with the Koopa solution and the chip, as long as it's on the person, right? So there's the... It's on the Corvette. Yep. Well, no, yeah. no, it's got to be on the person. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, sorry. But, sorry. but now you don't have the occlusion problem, right? Because you're able to see... I don't want to say see through things, but... You don't need eight cameras. You might need two radio heads, depending on the accuracy and, and resolution. But very interesting answer to the same problem. And I think a simpler one, right? Much cleaner, 
Um, those cameras will get dirty if it's in a weld shop or something. Now somebody's got to go up there periodically, wipe them off, and do all that other stuff. You don't have that with radio. Yeah, well, so, Justin, the, uh, I guess the part that I would say in this is that they're, they're complementary in that sure. the camera's going to capture totally. everything in space. Yep. LiDAR would be the same. Yep. So it digitally captures everything in space, but it doesn't necessarily know identity. Sure. And that's the part that the that you know that we are going to bring. So we've had people create security environments where they're digitally capturing everybody in the space, and they want to be able to identify the non-authenticated people in a in a room. So you know this is like access control for tailgating. Sure. And so they would use the data set from. Uh, LIDAR to capture the, you know, the, the images of the people, you know, they'll look like they're, you know, you know, it's all grainy, like Star Trek, uh, transponders. Right. So, um, and then, uh, they were able to take the data set knowing the, the, the diameters or the, the geometry of the, the space and show who was, who was wearing a tag and who was not. So, the identity of the person, you know, was associated with the uh, the image that was that was there as well. Makes sense. Um, the other thing with um, there's a company, the Siemens is a, has a, a, a product called AirGate that they use for their trans mass transit and um, and being able to allow people to seamlessly go in and out of um, uh, you know through a, a virtual turnstile, if you will. Mm to create a, an environment like that. And that way they want to be, of course, clock a meter accordingly. So being able to capture that in conjunction, that data with the camera in conjunction with the actual capture of the information, you know, from a cell phone or from a tag that a person was wearing, uh, you know, would be another example of that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. And, and then security, obviously with cameras, we have people that will pan cameras based on, where the tag is so they know how to pan the camera oh yeah the the, the one i want to do is uh, and shout Thank out you. to somebody that's already doing this but i think <laughs> all food delivery in all indoor stadiums in the world is terrible and i you've already got my phone because you won't give me a paper ticket my phone has bluetooth on it i order food why do i need to get up i paid 200 dollars to sit 40 yard line and you can't bring me two drinks and a couple of hot dogs I mean, you already charged me $19 a hot dog, right? <laughs> you put a tag on a tray, and you have, you know, Mandy walk it down, and Andy can pick it up when I'm done. Yeah, yeah. So we've had some uh, use in the hospitality space and the, the IoT of sandwich delivery, believe yeah. it or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, this kind of data doesn't matter to the, the mom and pop shops, but rather to maybe the people that are – in the business of having 25,000 stores globally. Yeah. Airmark. Sure. Yeah. 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 What about like, uh, what about like, uh, the terrible experience we have in renting cars and airports and giant parking garages? Tell me you're crushing that. Um, not yet, but there, there are inexpensive ways of doing that. Um, believe it or not, we, we did a fair amount of work in the parking business. Um, early on and, and what a lot of them are very interested in is providing a seamless experience for uh, ingress and egress out of a parking lot. Totally. Yeah. I want to walk up to my car and I want to have it ready and I want to know what's there. I don't want to be like, Oh, I have a reservation, but not a car. Like it, let, let's have a car. Yeah. 
Um, we have some business internationally that is uh, with some car rental companies that are, you know, turning around cars and processing the cars yep. uh, in the space. Cars, by the way, are big Faraday cages. So that's, again, another little uh, check in the yeah. box for uh, in that, again, we're, we're mitigating the, the problems that those environments produce or create. But they already have Bluetooth in them, but it's not reflecting out, right? So you have to put your own sensor in, I take it? Well, a lot of them will put put a tag in the, uh, what is it called, the ODB port that's yep. you know, yep. in the car. Yep. Um, and so... You can uh, put it right on the dash with a toll tag, and, you know, combo platter. Or even right right underneath without, you know, keeping it. Yep. Keeping it hidden. Yep. Um, Discreet. Yeah, yep. So. Cool. That's yeah, great. That's cool. Maybe you touched on a couple of them. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm not even done yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you well, are you are you in zoos? Are we in zoos? Yeah, like you should be on a snake, man. Come on, Tom. I can't on, not that I know of, but on the experiential side, you know how much an orangutan costs. Paramount. <laughs> yeah, uh, but on the human experience side, there's a couple of museums. Yes. Um, are using our technology to create bespoke experiences for people that are absolutely. You know, um, I've got a friend so, next to me who who could who could be a heck of a consultant on a, an indoor amusement park aspect of things. <laughs> um, which, um, yeah, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was going to say. Tell me. I mean, certainly amusement parks. Um, are well, think of another, the interaction you could have, like. You could load a profile on an app, right? Yeah. You have your phone or you have, you know, they, 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 they take your information when you buy your ticket and they scan you in, they give you a tag. Oh, it's, yeah. It's the lanyard. And they're like, oh, well, look, this is a haunted house. But we got, we got a family with the average age of under eight. Let's right. not blow their face off. Sure. Let's just make sure. sure they have a good time. And then the experience can can evolve kind of the ratcheting from customer one to, to Guster. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it basically enables you to have Bill Gates' house from the 90s anywhere you want, right? Where the temperature, yeah. the lighting, and the artwork and all that stuff. I don't know. I read the Wired article. I haven't been there. But, you know, like, you can do right. a whole host of stuff, right? Because you have this common denominator network where you can say, hey, this is the experience I want to have. These are the, these are the things you're able to track because I'm giving you access to them because they're right. on the person. But at the end of the day, if we can go back, I want to touch on one thing on the the safety piece. If the person walking in front of the robot, in the safety example we had earlier, does the sensor on the person goes to the antenna and the sensor on the robot goes to the antenna. And if the robot's holding an asset, that sensor also goes to the antenna. They don't, because of their proximity, they're not able to immediately uh, one one touch each other. They have to all go to the antenna, Correct. Correct. Well, in your let me give you a, a concrete example. Please. And again, so you know, our, our the location is being produced by a platform. It's not the antennas themselves, right? They're sending that data back for processing. Um, <clears throat> that stuff gets integrated into somebody else's. It's a subsystem, right? So Correct. it gets integrated, you know, in contrasted against other data points. Um, in, in the case of collision avoidance, as an example, we had one um, in a factory envir- environment where. There's two different, two different interesting examples. One is where you have AGVs, and AGVs are running around. Um, AGVs get disoriented when they get power glitches sometimes. Yep. Uh, and whenever that happens, they have to take them back to a point of origin. 
to reorient them and everything stops. Um, and so one, one partner had used our technology to uh, remind the, or refresh the position like you're in aisle four because mm-hmm. it doesn't, when it comes back on the LIDAR confuses them because all the aisles look the same in a warehouse. You, yeah, know? you hit your head, man. Yeah. You gotta, you uh, gotta have somebody reorientate you. Yeah, exactly. So the, uh, and the other one in the collision avoidance example is that we've had somebody, uh, you know, try to, I mean, you could do this to the governor, you're tying it to the governor, steer uh, fork truck drivers in a more securitous fashion around, you know, to avoid people altogether. If you see there's a cluster of people gathered there, then they could, you know, be guided to, to move in a different way. Um, or they could get receive visual indications that say, you know, slow down. You know, there's people around the corner. You don't know. You're not seeing that or whatever. And of course you could also tie that into the governor of the, of the, uh, the accelerator on the, uh, uh, you know, of the fork truck itself. Again, not all fork trucks are uber modern in all factories, right? So uh, a lot of them all have manual, you know, still have a man, manual operator. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's fantastic. So we are at an hour and five. Oh, shut up. I know. Um, How are you doing on time, Tom? That was just, it, it was fun. It's great. Yeah. So I, I, I guess... Charlie, do you have any super burning questions or do we, uh, we, I just, I want to clarify. So sensor to antenna, um, data is collected through an IOT gateway. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 that's what the antenna is essentially. So the okay. antenna signal sends it back to a positioning engine. that's doing all those calculations. I was talking about the intersection. So yep. Somewhere. These these don't have an awareness of each other. These sure. are actually relatively unintelligent devices. They're just receiving sure. uh, signal. But that and that then, device is a, a a server or a an edge computer or something that it has a serious amount of processing power. And then it's not done in the cloud. It sounds like it's done locally on site. Some customers do it in the in the cloud. I've got one company that does it that way. You know, we we're not. You know, there, there are reasons to not do it because it gives, guess what? Our positioning engine generates a lot of data. Totally. Yeah. Uh, it's safe, safety, safety, safety. Yeah, 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 yeah. And expensive. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to well, pump 60 hertz worth of positional data back and forth to the cloud. No, but if you wanted to query said data and you had 15, you know, partners that you want, that were holding different sets of tools and you wanted to know where those tools were at so you could make logistical manufacturing decisions more intelligently totally, totally. oh man i yeah. i, I can exactly. i can think about this for days this is this is great the location gets locally produced and then it gets gets sent to the cloud for further processing and analysis so right. you you got the nail on the head there charlie so can you can you just i i want to know just because you've been doing it for over five years and and um bravo for finding such a cool opportunity man in, in terms of um, salesperson to salesperson, like this is bravo. You've, you've earned uh, whatever effort it took you to get to this thing. Well done. Uh, what's your favorite application, please? Oh, Besides the hockey thing. I mean, obviously putting one in a puck is a hoot, but um, yeah. you know, all, all passions aside, what's your favorite? You know, I, I really honestly don't. I mean, I, the, the value of what this does in all these different industries, um, you know, I have to say that there's, 
I don't have any one specific one, and it's pretty much the diversity of it. I mean, I was in telecom for over 30 years, guys. You yeah. know, so it's fun to talk about something different every day. <laughs> yeah, I bet. yeah, yeah. And so I would say that that's the that's the fun part about it. You know, it's an app. A lot of it is application thinking through. You know, mm-hmm. where you have these different variables and 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 real world challenges to mitigate both in not only in how our technology works. But also, you know, what are you trying to solve for? And that's usually one of the big challenges. You know, we get presented with all kinds of what I would call tire kicking science projects. Oh, I'm sure and, you could go off the deep end and lose all your money real fast. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, well, not, and not to mention, you know, I've got the academic academic uh, society that's calling, you know, wanting to say every university in the country is interested in trialing this. Sure. Sometimes in an effort to reinvent the wheel. Sure. And other times they're trying to solve real problems, like in animal husbandry, as an example. Yep. Uh, and and uh, so we've got a couple of uh, a couple of universities that we're working with right now on that in that side. And a lot of times these things find their way from the university into commercial applications. Every time. Yep. 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 Stepping stones. Yep. Which is exciting. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've mentioned the verticals that we're in. You know, um, automation is. I would say the, the the whole IoT problem in and of itself is it's a long slog and and we're st- it's still early early days and the challenge of all of this and independent of whether it's healthcare which I think has immediate need totally because the technologies that have been used for location and healthcare have been grossly inaccurate mm-hmm. uh, but but they're there you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. So they're being depreciated and now they're looking for a new tech refresh but. Mm-hmm. Cables run inside of hospitals is sort of a, a challenge thing. You know, you have to shut down the ward. Nobody likes to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but if you look at the I'd say the challenge that this entire business has, whether it's Cooper or anybody else, you, you're, you're solving a, a, a fundamental business problem. If you're first of all, you have to find the right partners. Mm-hmm. And part of this part of this story is a crossing the chasm game. That the partners that you work Great with part. earlier not necessarily household names, yep. but they're people with strong industry knowledge in some vertical and your technology enables them to be disruptive in some way. Mm-hmm. They may be challenged from a sales and marketing perspective to really scale and go up and be that, be that, that um, uh, mid-market, um, you know, um, late adapter to early adapter, you sure. know, um, yep. Yep. To that if you follow the, that continuum. Mm-hmm. But you know, to get to that part, your technology has to be easy to use and it has to scale and it has to, you have to have management, you know, it has to be easy to, what business is going to look at this and what it would be like if I, I can do this in one plant, but what's it like to do this across 10 plants totally. or a hundred. Yep. And so to do this at scale, um, a, you have to have nimble partners that are capable of doing that. Number two, to get to that point, you know, think about the, the business itself. Well, okay, we'll do one plant. Let's do a proof of concept. Let's see if it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it works. Then let's roll it out in the plant. Okay, let's see if the, we're getting the value mm-hmm. that this is producing out of it. Is it really worthwhile? Is it worth doing again? Would mm-hmm. you do it again? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the answer is well, technology works great, but you know. Yeah, we spent ten grand and we only see a thousand dollars worth of benefit, and now we know where everything is and done. Yeah. Yep. So, okay, and now we we realized that we may have just not designed our factory in the right, in the right way. Right. Maybe we ergonomically mm-hmm. things differently. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all kinds of things that have presented themselves, um, that, that sort of, you know, have slowed this trajectory 
for again, not just us, but for everybody. When you look at how do you, uh, you know, how finding the right application, does it have an ROI behind it? If we solve this problem, would we yield X? Mm-hmm. And at what? Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue that we tend to that, that we battle is that you know if we just sat there and talked about a gazillion different things you can do in a factory, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, engineers tend to solve things in silo fashion. And so that's really our, it used to be our mantra is to do more with location. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, tracking tools, you may be tracking people and workflow efficiency and assets that are in process. And so there's all these different things that you can do, but typically people are just out to solve one. They start with one, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and that's sort of a challenge because the infrastructure ain't cheap, you know? Right. So, so that's, uh, you know, we, our, our, our counsel is always, you know, find something that matters uh, that's worth doing and don't try to all And the second comment right behind that is do not limit yourself to just one thing Yeah, do everything. Yeah. Realize that you can do, you know, I like to tell the consulting community that Coupa is the gift that keeps giving, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some phone calls. This is cool. <laughs> well, on that note, I think uh, we're going to have to hit the, uh, the close button. Any uh, parting thoughts, Tom, before we, uh, we wrap this one up. No, I think you got it for me. The last Thank one. you, Charlie. Uh, nice job, Tom. That's uh, pretty cool, and everything. Uh, uh, hats off to everybody in Finland. Well done. So, thanks for making time for us and finding us. This is great. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. This episode's brought to you by Newton's Ninja. Do you work with load cells, pressure transducers? Newton's Ninja is a simple and nimble force verification system weighing in at less than 25 pounds. Newton's Ninja enables users to calibrate load cells and compression and tension up to 5,000 pounds of force. Each Newton Ninja's kit includes a reference load cell and a digital indicator, each with a NIST traceable certificate. Head over to newtonsninja.com, use the code ADVOCATES to get a $300 discount on any of the three sizes of Newton's Ninja kits. That's newtonsninja.com. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. The opinions in this show are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, occasionally we might slide off the rails and into the ditch. Forgive us for that one.